This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Good afternoon, everybody. Today, it is March 16th. Market update. Uh, S&P was up over 2% today. VIX was down. 10-year treasuries are hovering at 2.19. Obviously, the big news today. So the Fed approved a 0.25% rate hike. This is the first increase since December 2018. The minutes, uh, in the minutes that the committee also penciled in increases for the six remaining meetings this year. Consensus is kind of looking at a Fed funds rate of 1.9% by year end. That is a full point higher than what they thought in or they indicated in December. They also see three more rate hikes coming in 2023 and then the following year. Uh, So they also bumped up inflation expectations, um, expecting personal consumption expenditures, excluding food and energy to reflect 4.1% growth this year. So that's that's up from the 2.7% projection. Uh, in this this December, and then core uh, PCE is expected to be two point seven and two point three percent respectively in the next two years, and then they imagine to be settling around two percent longer term. Another uh, news: oil has been a big point of topic. Um, I mean, it looked a lot different last week than this week. Oil's dropped thirty percent, largely due to two factors. One is there's, uh, well, actually more than two factors. Um, I mean, UAE and and other OPEC uh, countries have kind of indicated they're going to increase production and and, and, uh, release some surplus that helped. But in terms of the Ukraine front, there's been, I guess, some peace talks that haven't at least, Zelensky hasn't thrown cold water on them yet. Um, So I don't know if they're promising, but they're not as unpromising as the other rounds we've had so far. Uh, and additionally, China has had a massive spike in COVID cases, decreasing demands. Uh, now, that is going to obviously increase inflation in a lot of other areas. But with Chinese factories shut down, that's also helped decrease demand on oil for the time being. Absolutely. So we saw two major Chinese city, really the major tech manufacturing hub, as well as Shanghai, which is really the business center of China. Really, both those shutdowns are going to further disrupt global supply chains, which in my opinion, Drew, has been the biggest cause of inflation. We shut down the global economy. We weren't trading with other countries and uh, factories were shut. People were at home. Then we tried to turn it back on and it's taking a little bit longer than anticipated, especially with now more recent COVID-19 spikes, as well as now the Ukraine uh, invasion from Russia. So China uh, decreasing their demand for oil will definitely have a big impact on that. Uh, We saw gasoline prices at the pump in the United States jump nearly 50 cents. Uh, We saw that the average uh, for gasoline for a gallon was uh, a little over $4.30, which is significantly higher. And as you mentioned, we saw futures 
on crude go from 130 per barrel at the beginning of the week and now today uh, back down below 100 at 96. Mm -hmm. So uh, also to go back to your Fed comments, Fed, I think the market rallied today because of that. Seems like the Fed people have already priced this first rate hike in. It was good to have some clarity around the six more increases. By the end of the year, we could see that fund Fed fund rate just below three at 2.8%, which would be significantly higher. Well, one thing to keep on watching is the current bond market. If you really want to find out what is going on, take a look at the yield curve. The five-year treasury is about the same yield as the as the 10-year yeah. today. We could even see an, an inverted curve here pretty quick. A lot of folks have moved into the shorter dated treasuries as those are really a, your safe haven asset other than gold during times of uncertainty. So continue to watch that yield curve, Drew. Yeah, the yield curve is can definitely be a recessionary indicator. Um, you know, then the question is whether it's a deflationary recession as a standard or it's a stagflationary one, right? Um, and, so, and, yeah. and we saw a stagflation. So the number of Google shirts that uh, search what stagflation is on Google over the past two weeks uh, was over a uh, over a hundred times the the normal average. So <laughs> pe- people are trying to figure out what it is. I still think we're not in the stagflation period, even though we do have high inflation. We are still outpacing our normal GDP numbers. So that is something. So if GDP begins to dip, then I think we really need to consider if we're in a stagflationary environment and really maybe cause a cause a recession from a driving in- interest rates like we saw Volcker do in the seventies. It's tough to tell right now. Uh, February wage growth was down pretty precipitously from some of the numbers we've um, added. We've we've talked about you know throughout the year, uh, which is usually an indication that the prices could kind of cool as well. In, in terms of the Fed, they still have to confirm some nominees. Uh, Mansion threw cold water on Raskin uh, recently. Uh, which is, you know, it's problematic. She's done. She's done. <laughs> so, <laughs> I uh, mean, yeah. so they have a razor thin, Democrats have a razor thin majority in the Senate. As you mentioned, the Democrat from West Virginia said that he would not support her as a supervisor. White House hasn't withdrawn her nomination, but I don't see Sarah Bloom Raskin passing. I think I saw that she took herself out of contention of consideration, but um, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. That might have been a headline. I, I mean, you saw former Secretary Jacob Liu, who's been urging Senate leaders to f- confirm Biden's nominees. Um, I, I mean, you, we're, we're we're in the midst of externalities that have helped create more inflationary pressures. So having a fully operating Fed uh, is, you'd think, would be important. But uh, yeah, I guess, you know, we'll let the old heads figure it out. Um, There's much deliberation as they need. It's the world's greatest (laughs) deliberative body, right? So (laughs) they're always up to something. Uh, we'll, We'll have to see. Good to see Fed comments come out. Seemed like the markets rallied because of it. Not too much else to say on there. Be looking for it. Be interesting to see if the next one is a 50 basis point. If we continue to see oil and inflation going uh, rampant, we did see oil prices very volatile right now. Uh, was up to, as I mentioned, 130 per barrel. 
now we saw them uh, drop down. I think it's trading at just above 96. So 8% drop there. There has been some conversations about suspending the federal gas tax, Drew. What are your thoughts on that? And give us a little more background on, on what that would mean. Well, so the gas tax is in place largely for, for upkeep uh, in terms of the highway funding, road construction, mass transit. So uh, the, the trust has been running low for quite some time. There has never really been a provision that the gas tax needs to be COLA adjusted. So it's always been a matter of diminishing returns. Um, Long term, it's probably not great, but, um, you know, it's kind of hasn't been as useful for, for the reasons I've indicated in terms of actually keeping up with with construction projects. And at the same time, I think uh, suspending it temporarily could lead to some, you know, immediate relief uh, in the very short term. But. Yeah, and it, and it really is a matter of, is it really going to make that big of an impact to the end yeah. consumer? So the tax currently is set at 18.4 cents per gallon. The temporary halt would amount to a price cut for drivers of roughly about 5%. Mm -hmm. And also it might be 5% on the gallon of gas today, but if oil prices continue to go up, the prices at the pump are still going to go up. So people are already bit wary of, of the prices and the last sentiment that I saw was people were already upset with the numbers in January. Now with this latest run up, I wonder how they feel. The yeah. Biden administration is taking a lot of heat for the prices at the pump, mm -hmm. uh, even though there's some things are out of his control, like uh, people invading other countries. <laughs> but uh, or the Chinese not having vaccinations or the or, Chinese yeah, uh, shutting down again. So but it, all in all, as you mentioned, the Highway Trust Fund really was supposed to help road constructions and mass transit already running low. So if it's already running low and it's not really used as much as it once was intended, what is the impact of not continuing to fund that, uh, especially after we're seeing a lot of maybe possible infrastructure bills coming out of Washington as well? Yeah, I mean, so Illinois and Indiana uh, in 2000 um, suspended at least, I guess, their state Sometimes states have, you know, additional um, taxes. In uh, in any way, they concluded that the consumer saw prices decline by sixty percent of the tax cut. So it's not dollar for dollar, right? Um, you know, we already mentioned, you know, short term fiscal drains. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's it's it might be nice as a temporary suspension, but it's not the be all end all in terms of really helping out people's uh, pocketbooks in any meaningful way uh, when they go to the pump. Um, I mean, we should note that in the United States, gas is about as affordable here as pretty much anywhere in the world, uh, always has been. But the, the, of course, the issue is uh, a lot of other places don't have near the reliance on cars we have, nor are they nearly as rural. So that's why in terms of a political issue, uh, the price of gas is always seem to be fundamentally important in the United States more so than in countries that that uh, pay much more uh, in terms of cost per liter, but then that's also got to be adjusted with daily wage, right? Because the price in of itself is 
uh, meaningless if, if we're not looking at someone's actual wage. And yeah. the cars that and, we have are yeah. a lot bigger. I mean, right. look at the trucks on the road yeah. versus in the large SUVs compared to whatever they're driving in Italy. Those yeah. Three wheel guys. They're a little Fiat. <laughs> yeah. so, smart yeah. cars don't seem yeah. like they take up that much gas. You can no. push those things down the street. No. <laughs> so let's change gears here, Drew. Let's talk a little bit more about the war and the fallout and some of the impacts that it has. Uh, since we are in such a globalized economy, and all of the sanctions, we did see revisions on GDP numbers. So a little bit of drops in the United States as it slows, but not too much uh, bigger. We saw Barclays mark down its growth forecast for the for Europe uh, down from 4.1 to 3.5 percent. Not really a, the the biggest impact there. I think we're going to continue to see GDP really become a, a bigger issue in the, probably the next month or two. And really a big reason for that is going to be the drag uh, that inflation has with higher prices, especially energy prices in Europe right now. Also, a lot of car parts that are supposed to come out of Ukraine aren't coming out. So that's going to impact car prices. So overall, I think this is just going to continue to, to drag on, uh, especially when we think about Russia, the 11th largest economy in the world now being completely shut off from the from the Western world with all of the sanctions. Uh, and <laughs> saw one article who, if you can believe it, Drew, said Russia is actually going to have the biggest uh, the biggest impact based on the sanctions that that were given to it. Yeah, it's a hot take. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the ruble has gone down faster than I, the Afghan Afghani is now a more powerful currency <laughs> than the ruble. Um, there's there's a very just there's a very real possibility of fault within the next couple of years as it relates to both Russia but also Belarus um, who's more or less been acting as a proxy country to Russia in this conflict uh, and within the Belarusian constitution I think it's it's got a provision that I mean it allows for Russian troops to be stationed there uh, that's how Russia invaded much of the northern part of the country is Belarus and Belarus is also help supply the conflict as well on the Russian side. So, I mean, you're going to have Russia and Belarus are both looking at defaults. Um, it's been interesting to see companies like a, a week ago or so, it was Starbucks, Pepsi, Coca-Cola, and McDonald's are all kind of closing up shop in Russia. A big cultural icon, I, I should say, like post the Soviets was McDonald's coming to the country, right? Um, those kind of things that people love to talk about. And now they're, they're all more or less closing up shop in Russia. Uh, and then didn't Pep sell that many Big Macs. No, there, I guess. no Big Macs, Cokes. Um, and then Pepsi's, you know, they're, they're taking all their beverage products out of the country with the exception of uh, necessities because uh, they, they have baby food and baby formula and stuff that they're, they're going to allow Russians to buy. But yeah, I mean, it's just a lot of major chains and companies or that, you know, are pretty much standards of globalized uh, economies are, you know, are shutting down in Russia and then they're just going to have to be a lot more insular. Well, well, it's no surprise they've been hit the hardest because they were supposed to yeah. hit the hardest. Yeah. So JP Morgan forecast a 12.5% decline in the GDP, really uh, the halt of their federal exchange reserves and now cutting off the economy is going to have huge impacts. We saw the Institute for International Finance sees a 15% contraction from the global financial, uh, double the decline of the global financial crisis, just specifically around Russia. 
And then really the, the chief economist, Robin Brooks, for the Institute for International Finance, it says Russia will never be the same. So he was very blunt on it. Mm-hmm. You did mention something, Drew, that I think we should spend a minute on is just talking about Russia near default. So Russia does have uh, a lot of bonds. They have debt that they've issued. They have a payment that is either today, I believe, that should be uh, 117 million in interest payments, really in government dollar denominated bonds. This would be, if they fail to make the payment, would be the first default on its foreign debt since 1917 when you had the Bolshevik Revolution. Really, so what happens if they default? That could have some impacts on the market. Some people think it wouldn't be as big as it may have been in 2014 because a lot of the uh, regulators had already had uh, an impact since the Crimea in 2014. They had sanctions then. So many investors have parred back their investments in Russian bonds. One other thing, though, to note is that we have seen a selling of these bonds at a huge discount, a fraction of the face value, because a lot of the asset managers were forced to sell the bonds after the assets had to be removed from different indexes. So um, one question people have is, will Russia pay in dollars or, or ruples? Because ruples are, as you just mentioned, uh, a fraction of what a dollar would be, but they could still pay in ruples. Some say this would still define a default. Some say it wouldn't. Uh, but one thing to note is that could have an impact on the global credit market. Uh, I guess they could pay in the Afghan Afghani as well. Uh, <laughs> it's worth more than a ruble. <laughs> uh, I mean, so, I mean, it's also important to look at what credit agencies have done. Fitch has downgraded Russian sovereign debt to a C rating. That's indicating that a sovereign default is imminent. We saw S&P global ratings downgrade. Russia foreign local currency sovereign credit ratings to a CCC minus, um, you know, and Moody's is, is down as well, right? So the big three um, obviously are, are showing that Russia is in a very wary um, financial situation and, and that default could very well be imminent. Uh, we, Russia hasn't defaulted since 1998. Um, Deutsche Bank economists noted that non-payments will likely begin a 30-day grace period to issuers before defaults become triggered. Yeah. So the sanctions we've we've briefly mentioned are we talked on our previous podcast being barred from the SWIFT messaging system, seizing of assets, freezing of foreign exchange reserves, really. We haven't seen sanctions like this ever in my, I don't know if you would agree with that, Drew, but I think it's probably ever sanctions this. Mm -hmm. And some are a little worried about what the message is sending to Russia and other countries like China, where they may not want to become so dependent on the West because we are able to have this big power freeze assets. Uh, So the one that we are all thinking about is China and recalculating the cost of their their con- potential conflict with Taiwan. They haven't done anything, but that's the, that's the what people say will be China's. And if they were to invade a country, it would be the takeover of Taiwan. So we did see that China <clears throat> does have 
3.3 trillion reserve pile that could be frozen by the West. So we see if that begins to move, that begins to change. Another big thing is over the next decade, we've always talked about cryptocurrencies. China does have a digital currency trial that they're currently in with 261 million users today. And they um, and it will be hard to park assets outside of Western markets, but it is something to see how China and, and Russia, who were dependent on the West for our financial systems, if they come up with their own swift messaging systems, they don't have to rely on, on the West messaging to, to see how far these sanctions will have an impact on Russia or if it will push Russia and China further away and, and more in cahoots to each other. Yeah, I mean, Rome wasn't built in a day, right? Swift, um, global financing, everything we built over the last several decades has definitely taken some time. It will be difficult for the Russians to navigate uh, a new world of financing without any kind of Western bank support. Why, I guess, this has been different. I mean, there's 10,000 people or firms that are subject to American sanctions that affects 50 countries with 27% of the world's GDP. So we sanction a lot. Um, but I guess in our lifetime, at least, we've never seen maximum pressure on a big economy. That's, you know, I mean, Venezuela and Iran have certainly not been toppled, nor has there been as much uh, unanimous support for sanctions. Uh, I mean, uh, Europeans were certainly reticent to apply more sanctions on Iran um, under uh, President Trump. I mean, they had vehement disagreements with the state of the nuclear treaty, for one. Uh, and, and, And likewise, whether or not people apart from the United States, really care what's going on in the government of Venezuela. Uh, Russia seems to be a very different situation. I guess it would be, I mean, a historical parallel might be South African apartheid, right? When there seemed to be more global consensus on trying to affect bad behavior and, and what they considered bad actors. And we're definitely seeing that right now. And it has big ramifications, as you mentioned. Uh, if we succeed and keep the Russians at bay and and they pull out of Ukraine, I think that does draw a a strong signal to countries like China who might take uh, an invasion of Taiwan off the table, for example. So outside of Ukraine, it's got ripple effects around a lot of global conflict zones as well. Exactly. Well, it it, it will signal to China and it will show the impact. China's economy is a lot larger than the Russians and the trade that comes out of China is a lot, I'd say, more impactful than Russia, right? Because Russia is a big oil producer, whereas China, think about the semiconductor market, the tech market that's coming out of there. Mm-hmm. It, for us to siphon them off or sanction them off like for a global standpoint would hurt a lot more than Russia, in my opinion. Also, I, I think another point that we need to think about is how much these sanctions are going to push Russia and China to decouple from the West, create their own banking system, not rely on SWIFT, maybe make their own digital currency, push back from the Western markets, reduce their foreign exchange reserves. The the last one I just mentioned, the federal the foreign exchange reserves will be the hardest one to decouple from the West, but be interesting to see how China plays this uh, so they don't if they do think Taiwan is a strategical uh, location or part of their uh, 
the Chinese Republic, then I it would be interesting to see what happens with them. Yeah, I mean, China's just another. Um, I mean, it's just a much larger economy, holds a lot more global significance, and it's also ascendant power. Whereas Russia's clearly, uh, you know, looking to the past a lot, at least under Putin. Um, I mean, the fact that Kiev was the center of Russia, and what ten thousand around then? I mean, I mean, we're talking. So we're talking about <laughs> uh, historical connotations that haven't, you know, that existed a millennia away, you know, ago, and then they eventually moved to. Mo- I mean, it's just very hard for Americans or Canadians or Australians or you name it like the New World, right, to understand this kind of level of. Um, of, of power that history plays in people's decision-making and how they view themselves as a country. Uh, but it's, it's clearly real. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just one of those things you, you have to analyze from a different perspective. Um, what, what, what should we also be, you know, looking at that we might not have discussed today, Grant? Uh, two things for me, Drew. One, Air travel rebounded to pre-pandemic levels last month. So U.S. travelers spent $6.6 billion in domestic flights last month, uh, 6% more than February 2019. So good to see that be impactful to see as we see ticket prices soar really because of those higher fuel prices to see if that has a big impact, maybe pricing people out of their summer vacations. And then lastly, uh, not as big of an impact, but there is another evergreen ship that has run aground in the Chesapeake Bay this time, uh, pretty much a year after the uh, Suez Canal was blocked for a couple of weeks last year. So interesting to see that hopefully it doesn't have that big of an impact on the global trade economy because that was another big impact. I think we lost $20 billion a day when that ship was stuck in that canal. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing to look out for to see if that ship stays there. Chesapeake Bay should not have that big of an impact as the canal. No. Um, I mean, I, I guess we'll all be kind of, I mean, we, we still got some earnings coming up <clears throat> that we should be looking at. Um, I mean, the, the obvious, you know, just we'll be looking at the peace talks, see how they play out. I know Zelensky, um, you know, discussed with members of Congress remotely, kind of the need to instill a no-fly zone and and create uh, more additional pressure. I, I don't imagine we'll have a no-fly zone, but whether or not we try and smuggle uh, planes through Poland could be something uh, that's been discussed. Uh, I, I think that might be just as um, declarative in terms of an act of war i'm not sure i mean i mean who knows how how, how these actors are going to respond and how putin's going to respond but uh, you know how much more gas we're going to throw on the fires obviously something to be looking at hopefully not a lot no <laughs> um all right everybody well next week we have uh janice on uh, as a special guest uh, we'll be talking about you know wide facing issues so uh, look for that one Thanks for your time, likes and subscribes, and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. 
The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthDesk does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthDesk does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.